And I have uh, just a pastoral concern uh, for yourselves, even, even for myself. We are uh, 10 days from Christmas. And it tends like this time of year that, um, yeah, 10. That's right. She's like, what? 10. Right? Today's 15th? Right. Am I right? 10 days. All right. Okay. All right. I was getting some looks like, what? Uh, and this time of the year, and if you, whether you have kids or not, I mean, there's just a, a bit of stress that goes with the holidays. Am I, am I right? It's like there's uh, the stress of, of getting gifts, the stress of receiving gifts, the stress of, well, what if I get them a gift and they don't, they, they don't get me a gift that's going to be awkward or vice versa? And if, if I get them a $5 gift and they get me a $50, like even just gift giving, right, can, can wear us out. Uh, a couple years ago, Pixar released a movie called Inside Out. And it's the story of a, a, a girl moves from Minnesota to California. And that's going to be tough for anybody, uh, but a, a young adolescent girl. And the story is, uh, it's, it's like what's happening in her mind. There's all these different emotions of, of joy and sadness, and uh, I think anger is, is in there. And, it, and at times, it's a bit chaotic. And you can't always see that just on the, out, on the outside, right? But it, and my concern is for us that while we might be here in the service today, like in our mind, it's, it's a bit chaotic this morning. Um, some of us use the, the Bible app to, to read scripture on. And I saw this week, they, they put out a, a list of their most read, most looked up Bible verses this year. And they said that 35 billion chapters of scripture were read this year on the Bible app, which is pretty awesome. 35 billion across multiple languages. And do you know what the number one read and looked up verse was? It's Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Older versions say by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known. to God. The number one, like that apparently uh, is on people's minds, on their hearts, looking up this verse. And my prayer every Sunday when we gather is that in some way that you would encounter God. It, it could be uh, from the, the person who greets you when you come in. It could be during our communion time, the prayer time, music. Um, it could be the, from the hug of a friend that you see here on Sundays, different ways that, God, that you would encounter God. And it could be just in pausing to come to church. It is a um, I don't know, punching the devil in the face to say, I'm going to take time out of my week. I mean, like to, to gather like this on a Sunday, like who, who does that? Jesus followers, right? We, we take time, we make it a priority, we come and to gather to, to hear from God, to encourage one another. And so I want just for a moment, and maybe you're going to encounter God just in taking a breath this morning. And letting the, the emotions that I can't see into your mind, just like giving that to God. Is that all right? So I'm, I'm going to read a couple scriptures, but if, if you would just close your eyes for a moment and just take a deep breath. And maybe just before I read, just if there's any tension in, in your face, you just kind of relax your face and your, your shoulders. The psalm says, be still and know that I am God. 
The Apostle Peter says, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. Jesus said, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, I pray for your people today. I pray for myself that in in all the the busyness and the gift-giving that we would be still and know that you are God, that we would give our burdens to you, that we would come to you and find that hope and that peace and that joy that can only come from you. God, give us rest from city living. Give us rest from uh, the burdens of our relationships, the, the struggles at work this week. God, would you give us rest? Would you bring healing in the name of Jesus? Amen. 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 All right. All right. Hope that was helpful. It's good for me sometimes just to stop and to recall who God is. And um, next Sunday, I want to encourage you to come to, we're going to have a special Christmas service. And we'll have carols and hot chocolate. We'll have a fun photo booth set up. It's just going to be a simple Christmas. A simple Christmas, we're calling it. Uh, and if well, the older kids are going to be with us for the service, we're going to have a story time for the kids up front. We'll have activities for them to do during the, the teaching time, which will be a little shorter next week. You can hold me, hold me to that, maybe, God willing. Uh, and I will, if you've been here the last two Christmas services, you know that I always like to bring a little bit of... Uh, magic, or if that's offensive to you, gospel illusion, gospel illusion. You remember the, uh, the pickle that I lit up um, last year, the, the rope that was uh, straightened? Next week, you're going to be amazed, all right? So come, be ready. It'll be something also for the, for the kids. We want it to be a family time as we, as we move into uh, Christmas, which is 10 days away. So now, have you ever worked at a job, and then you got a new, a new boss. Like maybe you've been at a job for a while, and this, it doesn't matter if you're uh, Wall Street, Main Street, blue collar, white collar. If you've ever gotten a, a new boss at a job, it can be a, a little bit tricky. I mean, if you, don't, if you don't know the boss, like let's say they bring in somebody else or they, they reorganize the, um, your, your work there, and, and maybe you have a new direct report, like someone new you have to report to, it can always be a little, little touch and go there at the beginning. Like, you're trying to fi- figure out this new boss. Um, what's their leadership style? What, what do they expect from you? Uh, what's their com- how do they communicate? Um, and if it's somebody from within the organization that was promoted and became your boss, well, that's got all kinds of ramifications as well. Because maybe, maybe you were good friends. Uh, maybe you weren't good friends. And you're like, oh, man, I'm about to get fired. Uh, maybe, maybe there had been like an, an office romance at one time. With the, and maybe there still is, and so like now they're your superior, and you're the subordinate, and like, and 
and for the sake of everybody else, they don't want to show favoritism, so they're extra tough on, on you. And I mean, it can be tricky having, having a new boss or a new administration uh, come in. Now, I've, I've still worked for the, the town of Breckenridge, and I, my direct report is the assistant town manager. And, and we've worked together for the last 11 years. She hasn't always been the assistant town manager. But every place that she has been within the town, I have always been her, her subordinate, answering directly to her in, in different, different capacities. And um, a couple weeks ago, there was a, um, an email chain going around. Not a bad email chain, just a work email chain. And it involved three different town departments, three different buildings throughout, throughout the town. We're, we're trying to, to figure something out. And there was a request by some people of the town that the town provide them with some, um, some benefit that the town was not giving to others, like some, some freebies, some giveaways, and some permits, and some different things. And um, I mean, it wasn't a, like an unethical request. They were just like saying, hey, this is what we're doing. Could we get? And she responded in the email. She's like, just within in the town, she's like, no, I don't think we should do that. And I responded, yes, I think we should. I don't have a good reason. I just like to disagree, and I'm nicer than Shannon. So that was my, uh, you're like, what? You said that to the... I was joking. I was like, I wrote it in a Sarcastica font, okay? Um, if, if she is a new boss, like, I'm not doing that. But I was just, I was just goofing around. Like, I was just, actually, I agreed with her and, and typed down. But I was just trying to keep, and you guys are like, what? You did what to the assistant town manager? Uh, yeah, because we've worked together a long time. But if I had a new boss, there's no way. There's no way I'm writing that, right? But we have, we have this good, a good relationship. Um, with a new boss, there's a new administration and today, we're continuing our Advent series, Living in Between. And we've been looking at the central focus of the life and ministry of Jesus is the kingdom of God. Like over and over again throughout Jesus' ministry, he is all kingdom all the time. And another way to think of a kingdom is to think of it as an administration. So every administration has a way that they run things, a way that they expect things to be run. So you have a new king, you have a new ruler, it's going to bring a, a, a new administration, it's the same thing that happens in, in the White House. Every time there's a new president, he brings in a new administration, and he runs things differently and has a certain expectation. Uh, in the kingdom of God, Jesus is king, and he brings in a certain expectation of how the kingdom is to operate, how he operates the kingdom, and how he expects us to operate within the kingdom. It's a new boss, and, and it's a radically different administration than the kingdom's of this world. It's Colossians 1, verse 13, just to get us started here. Colossians 1, 13 says that, For he, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we belong to God's kingdom if we belong to Christ. Right? If, if I have made Jesus my Lord, we are part of God's kingdom and I just need to quickly recap where we've been the last couple weeks. This is going to be review. If you've been here, if not, that's probably not going to be enough information. But in the New Testament, the coming of Jesus was the coming of a new age, a new dawn. The coming of the kingdom of God had arrived. And so we're going to put up a, a picture of what that looks like just so we can get an idea of the present age and the coming age. And the first Christians, they saw themselves as living Right where that line says inaugurated, like God was doing something new. They saw themselves living, but it, this old present age 
was still continuing. So they were living between the times of, of God's coming, God's coming kingdom, but, but not yet. It wasn't fully consummated. It wasn't quite yet the time of the Spirit. And so the good news is that God is king, Jesus is Lord, and he has defeated the powers of darkness. That is, that is the good news, and we live in the overlap of the ages. We live in that overlap, and we looked at what that, that means, but it means a couple things, that we live between the times. It means that God's kingdom is both present and future, that God's kingdom is already and not yet, and we have to live in the radical middle of the already, not yet. And, and last week, uh, just uh, a couple main points from last week, was that there is a battle raging in the cosmos. We looked at scriptures that show um, this, this contrast between what God is doing and what our enemy Satan is doing. He said Jesus has already won the victory, but the battle has not yet it's not yet over. There's still a battle to be fought. And so this is how the New Testament understands the kingdom of God. So in the coming of Jesus, God has come onto enemy, enemy territory, and he's claimed planet Earth in the name of the cross. And because of the, new, of the resurrection, there will be a day coming when the kingdom of God will be consummated, and all things will be made new. And that's, that's what Advent is about, and God has already triumphed. Now, our struggle is that we have been called to live out the value of God's kingdom, God's coming future kingdom in the present age. Like we are supposed to be end time God's kingdom people in the present age. And that's where the rub is. And that's where the difficulty is. What are, what are the values of the coming kingdom? So let's look briefly at, at Mark chapter 1. This has been our, our go-to verse the last couple weeks. Mark chapter 1, this is Jesus stepping onto the stage for the first time. Uh, right after he'd been baptized, uh, John the Baptist was put in prison, and it says, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So we're talking about this kingdom of God, and like, what? It would be nice if, if the writer, if, if Mark, who's writing this, would have given us a definition. Like, here's what the kingdom of God is. Here's what the expectations of everyone entering the kingdom are. But the beauty of the New Testament is that instead of giving us definitions, especially the Gospels, what it gives us is stories. It just if, Right after this in Mark, if you read the next few chapters, what, what you'll see is outsiders being brought in. You'll see people being healed. Uh, you'll, you'll see uh, demons being cast out. You'll see uh, sinners, the poor, the have-nots, the nobodies, the traitors, the outcasts. They are brought in, and, and that's what the kingdom of God looks like. It, if Jesus is king... In his kingdom, he's bringing in a new administration. He runs things differently. He has a new set of values. Because the world has a system, a way that things are supposed to run. And Jesus has a way that things are supposed to, to run, things are, a way things are supposed to go. Because in the kingdom, kingdoms of this world, how do you get in? Like anywhere, how do you get in anywhere? You have to have the right credentials. Right? You have to, um, I mean, there are a lot of places you can't get into if you don't have the right credentials. I mean, just a couple examples. College. Like, you wanted to get into college, you wanted to get into grad school, what do you have to do? You've got to apply, you've got to show your worth, what you've done, what you've studied, especially if it's an elite grad school, right? You've got to show your work. You've got to show how smart you are. Um, there's those scenes in the movies where, like, people are trying to get into a club or something, there's a bouncer there, and, and nobody can get in unless they have the right, you know what I'm talking about? 
Apparently that happens in real life. I've never been to a club like that, but uh, that still just comes to me from, from the movies. Um, most businesses that are open to the public have a sign or something on a door that says, authorized personnel only, right? Because you have to have the credentials. If you don't have the right credentials, you can't get in. I, and nobody, we don't balk at that. That's, that makes, that's common sense. Um, if you want to get into the Broncos game, what do you, credentials do you have to have? You've got to get a ticket. You have to pay something to get in. Apparently, you can pay less this year to get into the remaining games. Uh, I mean, it's just not doing so hot. But you have to have credentials. Uh, just to give you one brief personal example. A couple weeks ago, the day before Thanksgiving, we were running low on milk. So I ran to King Supers, and and you know who else was running low on milk? King Supers. And usually we're, we're a 2% family. I'll go to the 2%, no 2%. Well, you got the 2%. You go to whole milk. You don't go down, right? I uh, go to whole milk. No whole milk. So then you got to walk. I'm walking backwards from it. You know, you know how it works, right? They got to go to 1%, nothing. Skim water, nothing. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't even look for the, the almond nut juice. It's just not. If, uh, but, I mean, not a single gallon of milk. But because there was no milk, I could see past where the milk was supposed to be into the back room, which is also part of the cooler. And I saw on the back wall was a few gallons of whole milk. Like it was like two shelves worth. Now, I, I'm a rule follower. Uh, and there was this other guy next to me. There's the two of us, and we were just kind of staring there at the empty, empty shelves, forlorn, no milk. And uh, when I saw the milk back there, I was like, hey, man, I see some milk back there. Because I have no problem being an accomplice. <laughs> right? Because I look, I look around, and there are the employees, there was none in that area. I mean, it's the day before Thanksgiving. Like, they've had a rough, a rough couple days, right? Uh, and so he's like, because in my mind, I'm thinking, if I just give him that idea, if I show, maybe he'll go get it and get me one while he's back there. Was my was my thought, and sure enough, he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna go get a gallon of milk." I'm like, "All right, sounds good. I'll be lookout." That's what I was thinking in my head, and all of a sudden, it's like 007, uh, Mission Impossible. He goes past the off into the author, unauthorized area, no credentials, and I thought like somebody was gonna repel from the ceiling, like he was gonna be tased, uh, and he walks not through one set but two set of unauthorized places. Goes in, grabs not one, two gallons of milk. Comes back out, brings the milk with him, and, uh, and Thanksgiving was, was perfect. I said, thank you. Thank you for getting, getting the milk for us. And, and, uh, but if you, my point is, if you don't have the right credentials, there are certain places you're not allowed. You're not supposed to go. Um, some of you are like, Matthew, what's the big deal? Like I said, I'm, I'm a rule follower, so that was, that was tough for me. But I was, a good, I was a good lookout. Religion often works the same way as the kingdoms of the world. What I mean is uh, we, we try to bring our accomplishments, our performance. We come to God and say, God, I, and I've, I've been good recently. I've been reading the Bible. I've been praying, gone to church. Um, so, so could you answer my prayer? Or let, let me into your kingdom. 
And we won't put it in those terms, but we, I think we subconsciously, we bring our own righteousness to God and say, I deserve to be here. I deserve to be in. But the kingdom of God operates under a different value system. In fact, you could say that God's kingdom is upside down. God's kingdom is upside down in comparison to how the kingdoms of this world operate. It's a complete reversal of the world's systems and values. And, and we see this throughout the New Testament, that Jesus would say, here's, here's what you've known. Here's the way I, I look at it, and here's the way it is. Uh, so, for example, in Matthew 20, verse 25, Jesus has called together his disciples. And he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Like it's the top down, you do what I say. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So just one example. You, you've heard, you've seen what the kingdoms of the world do. That's not, that's not what we do. We serve. We don't go to the top. We go to the bottom. Colossians 3, verse 7, this is the Apostle Paul, said, You used to walk in these ways, in the way you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Ephesians 2, again, this is Paul, says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world so this age the present and the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient and in other words we belong to a different type of kingdom there's a different type of uh, expectations we have a different king he's and he's called us to live out the life of the kingdom in the present age and that's going to run us into all kinds of difficulties and all kinds of um problems because God's kingdom is upside down. It's a complete reversal of the world systems and values. Uh, and we don't, we don't have time to go through how this plays out in, in all of our lives in so many ways. But if you want some homework, you could read Jesus. He had this teaching. It's called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And he, he talks about what the kingdom looks like. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who mourn. And then he, he he says some crazy stuff like, you've heard, do not kill. Well, I tell you, if you're angry at your brother, watch out. You've heard, do not commit adultery, but if you, if you look at a, a woman with longing, careful. Like, and so he goes through, he talks about riches and, and where your treasure is. There your heart will be also, and, and don't let your possess, possessions, possessions, got it, possess you. Don't let your possessions, I should probably just stop saying that word this morning. Troubling. Uh, he, taught, he said, turn the other cheek, love your enemies, not worrying. And we, we don't have time to go into all the implications of what it means to be in the kingdom of God, how it changes everything about us. It should change. It should impact everything about us. But I, I just want to show us how the reversal in God's kingdom works in a couple ways. Uh, so first, the gospel is received in reversal of the world's values. It's, the gospel is received in reversal of the world's values. You don't get in by saying, I've lived a good life. You don't get in by showing your credentials. You get in by saying, I'm bankrupt. That's how you get into God's kingdom. You don't, you don't come with your credentials and look at how awesome I am. No, we, we come as being 
bankrupt, saying, I have nothing of value to offer. In fact, I think it can actually be easier to get into the kingdom the fewer credentials that you have. There was, there's a, um, an account of Jesus, and this, this young man comes to him, and by all accounts was an upstanding young man, never been in trouble, wanted to follow Jesus. He had a bit of money. Jesus said, you've, you've done well. Go sell everything you have. Follow me. And the man went away. He had brought his credentials to Jesus. And Jesus said, get rid of your credentials and then come follow me. He, he couldn't do it. And so he, Jesus didn't turn him away, but he turned away. And the world says you get in if you have something of value. If you have something to provide, if you have the right resume, if you have the right education, if you know the right people. But in the kingdom of God, you only get in if you declare bankruptcy before God. God, I have, I have nothing to offer. Save me, Jesus. I think this is one of the reasons why historically those who are poor and those who are without privilege have outnumbered the privileged and the wealthy in the kingdom of God. When you, you don't have much to start with, you have a better understanding of grace and of not trying to bring your credentials if you don't have credentials. And say, Jesus, I need you. So, so closer to the kingdom of God. So the gospel is received in reversal of the world's values. But not only that, the gospel is achieved in reversal of the world's values. Um, Jesus is not the king the world expected. He's not. He, he didn't come triumphing over his enemies, but he came and he served. He came and he was poor. He was homeless. He was rejected. He was powerless. And, and there's so many implications but one of the results of this upside-down kingdom is that the gospel, it reunites people and groups in reversal of the world's values. Because um, in, in the world's kingdoms, there's clear distinctions between the haves and the have-nots. There's a clear distinction between those who have the credentials and those who do not have the credentials. There's a clear distinction between those who are in and those who are out. I, I feel like in my own life, looking back at middle school, Middle school is a great example, right, of those who are in or out. It's a, it's a tough time, uh, middle school, for any boys, girls, because, every, like, subconsciously, like, you'll see, like, little cliques form, and the way you get into the clique is to have, you know what I'm talking about? Like, we just, it's easier, I feel like, in middle school. When we become adults, we try to make everything nice, and it's just harder to see, in some respects, who's in and out. We know in our own minds, like, who we think in and out of our, of our circles. Um, but the gospel, it demolishes our categories. Like in the gospel, uh, it doesn't matter how brilliant, how wealthy, how talented. If you come to Jesus, we come as bankrupt. We are resourceless. There is nothing to recommend us. Uh, Romans 3 says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. And so when you understand the gospel and that we come to God bankrupt, it radically changes your attitude towards people without power. 
It changes your attitude towards people without privilege and, and without wealth. Uh, because whatever your status in the world's kingdom, you come into God's kingdom without privilege and without power. It levels the playing field. Because we all come to God the same way. And, and so, and what the gospel does is it allows us to see ourselves and our brothers and sisters. Does that, does that make sense? Like it, it helps us elevate those who we would normally say are on, on the outside of where, where we are. Um, and so the the only way to become a Christian is to go away from power, is to go away from status. Um, there's a, um, a professor at Duke University, Richard Hayes, very well-respected Bible scholar, and this is how he talks about the kingdom of God and how it stands in stark contrast to the kingdoms of this world. He said, God's invasion of the world has brought about an inversion all through the book of Mark, God reverses the positions of the insiders and outsiders. Those who are in positions of privilege and authority reject Jesus. But the people of lower despised position in the world of first century Jewish culture receive the gospel gladly. The lepers, the demon-possessed, the woman with the hemorrhage, the Syrophoenician woman, the little children, the blind, the lameless woman who anoints Jesus at Bethany, the centurion at the cross are all put forward they're put forward by Mark as faithful responders to Jesus, but in the society of that day, they were outcast. Why? Because the gospel is achieved and received in reversal of the world's values, in reversal. Um, and I'm, I came up with this, this illustration, and it's probably my worst illustration ever, so have some grace, all right? Grace for me today. Imagine... There was a zombie apocalypse. You're like, Matthew, this is off to a bad start already. Okay, that's all right. Uh, in said zombie apocalypse, there is a safe zone, that if you could get to the safe zone, you would be safe from the zombies and safe from becoming a zombie. Uh, apparently, zombies are quite popular in culture these days, TV shows, movies. Uh, anyway, uh, and nobody wants to become a zombie or be bitten by a zombie, because then you become a zombie. You know how it works. Um, but you, you can get to the safe zone, but the safe zone, the only way you get into the safe zone, the zombies, in my made-up scenario, uh, they, can't, they can't bend over. They, they can only stand up straight. They're, I don't know, they walk like this. I don't know, Einstein. I don't, I don't know. That's my best impression. Uh, the way in, so the only way that you get into the safe zone is you have to be able to, to bow down. So it doesn't matter if, if you have money or not. How do, how do you get into the safe zone? You, you got you to go down. It doesn't matter uh, what your family has or, or doesn't have. It doesn't matter um, what society has labeled you as. It doesn't matter what you've done in, in the past. It doesn't matter like, what's on your, your criminal record or not. Like, the way that you come in and you are, you are saved is by bowing down. Like everybody comes into the kingdom the same way. We come in by, by bowing down to the king. I know that's the terrible illustration. See, I told you. Um, but that's how we come into the, to the kingdom. Uh, two weeks ago, I saw an article in Christianity Today, and it was a bit convicting. And the title of the article was, Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor, but now they're leaving the church. That's backwards. 
and the, the, the author, he teaches political science at Eastern, uh, Eastern Illinois University, and he, he just looked at just the raw numbers, and he says that the poor are leaving the church in mass in the United States, and he talked about some, some different reasons, and he says this is a shame because churches are the very places that can provide social networks and social capital that can help the poor find ways out of poverty. He goes on to say it's not just the church. The article says uh, Americans in the lowest income bracket report increasingly being increasingly isolated from their own communities overall. In other words, in general, the poor are becoming less socially active. Church is impacted by that. But I was like, That should not be. Like, I, I hope, I, I pray that the Hills Church would, would be the type of place where people without power, people without resources, people without the right credentials would come and not only be welcome, but that in whom we would see the face of Jesus, the one who was rich but for our sake became poor. For our sake, the, the, the values of the kingdom are upside down. And like in, in the church, like they, it wouldn't be just, they wouldn't be here for just a show or for a handout, but that those without privilege outside of the church, inside of the Hills Church, that they would have privilege here, that they would be elevated here. One of, one of our, our core values as a church is sharing meals together. And, uh, it, and our challenge is to share a meal with at least one person a week. And some have someone over, or um, it doesn't have to be anything extravagant, but sharing meals, we feel like, is just an important part of being the body of Christ uh, with one another. And so if we're doing that, and just thinking back over the last month or two for yourself, who have you shared a meal with, one? But two, if you have shared meals, is it people just in your same socioeconomic sphere? Or are there multiple People people maybe have less income than you, people with more income than you. Are we a place that lives out this reversal of the world's values in the kingdom of God? I mean, we, we should be. So the gospel, it's, it's received, it's achieved in reversal of the world's values. And you think, you think about, about Jesus not coming as, as we expected not coming to uh, set up his kingdom in that exact moment. And it, it's the great reversal. I mean, he takes, right, when we talk about Jesus, he takes what we deserve, death, and gives us what he deserves, the kingdom. And it invites us in. And he was cast out so that we could be brought in. What a savior. What a savior. He was cast out so that we could be brought in. It's all upside down. The gospel is received and achieved in reversal of the world's values. And so when the king comes, he sets up a new administration in our lives. He should change everything about us. He should turn, turn everything on its head in our lives. Um, and that, that is our, our challenge. Um, and today is the third Sunday of Advent. Advent is a season of waiting, the season of hope for Christ's second coming. We look to his first coming because it, it is a guarantee of the, the second coming. And uh, the weeks of Advent, the first week was hope and then peace, and then today we consider joy. And um, before we move into the, the next part of our, our service here, 
I just want to give you a brief heads up of what's going to happen. It's going to be a little different than normal. Is our, our kids are going to come and, uh, in a little bit after communion, and they've put together a little Christmas uh, Broadway performance. It's probably not quite Broadway, but they're going to come up. Uh, so after, after communion, just know it's going to be, it won't take, take long, uh, five or ten minutes, but they're going to come and, and we'll smile and laugh at them and, it'll, and clap with them. It'll, it'll be fantastic. Um, so they're going to they're gonna come. So I just wanted you to make, make you aware of that. Um, the last few weeks, I've been sharing about Jeff and Heather Francis. And um, so, so Heather, if, if you haven't been with us, Heather was diagnosed with, with cancer about 15 months ago. And then she went through all the treatments. They thought it had gone into remission uh, just before Thanksgiving, uh, like two weeks before Thanksgiving, she went into the hospital. The tumor had come back and had come back aggressively. And um, within just a couple weeks, she had become unresponsive because the tumor was on her, was right on her brain. And so she lost, um, she lost her eyesight. She couldn't respond besides just a weak grasp of the, of the hand to communicate at times. Um, she's a mother of five I think the oldest one is, is 20, so Heather's there, there in the middle. Jeff is on the, on the end there. And we have a, a number of mutual friends on Facebook, and, and so Jeff has been posting on Facebook about this journey. And, and she passed away the day before Thanksgiving. And he's, he's been writing kind of what he's going through leading up to that time, after that time. And... Um, and they, they have fit his, what he has said of, about the themes of Advent. Like there was, there was hope in the one. And last week it was about peace. And this, this week I'm going to read another, and it's about joy. And, and they're heavy. But this is what Advent is about, living in between the times. So this was actually written on November 25th. This was two days before she passed away. And she was already at this point is, has become unconscious and not responsive. I know a lot of people get excited when I have something new to report about Heather. Thousands of likes, comments, and shares on Facebook. It makes me really happy to see all the positive feedback and support for Heather. The commitment to pray means more than anything, but with all that excitement comes sort of a pressure on my part to deliver good news. Jeff, you've got to come up with something good today so people will keep praying. People will only wait for so long, end quote. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of good to say today. Heather has struggled the last couple of days. Sunday was a bad pain day, and I had to add an extra morphine several times. Uh, today's been okay in terms of pain, but she's just been out of it. It's hard to communicate with her. She doesn't respond as often to questions. There's lots of fidgety movements with her right hand. She also gets frightened at times. It's more like she's easily startled. She twitches. She doesn't look like the woman I fell in love with or the mom who laughed so much. But I know that woman is still in there. Her brain is foggy, and it takes longer to process her surroundings, but she's there, and I know she loves me, and I love her. So what do we do now? We wait. We wait for everyone's prayers to be answered or wait for cancer to take over. We wait for her to show signs of improvement, or we wait to see evidence of further decline. Either way, we wait. Waiting. That's actually where we spend most of our time. It's in the waiting in the, my Christian tradition, we always value having an experience with God. 
There was a need and there was a miracle, but not much attention was paid to the space in between, the waiting. We shouted and danced and celebrated when someone got saved, but not much time or attention was given to the waiting for someone to be saved. That's where our life is lived, the waiting. We all wait. We all have things we look forward to. We want to finish the degree, find that special someone, start a family, build the dream home, retire. One of Heather's dream was to be a grandmother. She looks forward to that so much she told me, I'd be a flippin' fantastic grandmother. She's right. She looks forward to holding and kissing a grandbaby. She waits. As Christians, we wait on the Lord. We look forward to a future day when there is no more pain, no more sickness, no more war, no more cancer. In the meantime, we wait. That's where we are right now. We're in the waiting. So what will we do while we wait? Waiting for something signifies that there's something out there we want that we don't currently have. That's the elusive thing, whatever it may be, would make us happy. If, if we could just have that, things would be okay. If, if I could just take care of this problem, then I'd be all right. If Heather could just be healed, I'd have joy. The problem with that is that the thing we're waiting for never brings joy. If I'm waiting for my circumstances to bring me joy, then I'm just going to continue to wait. Instead, the key is choosing joy while we're in the waiting. We all look forward to something that we think is, is just going to make life great. Great things can make you happier, but they can't make you happy. The happy has to already be inside. That's why it's important to have joy in the waiting. Heather's personal theme during the last 15 months of her cancer treatment has been finding joy in this journey. Finding joy in this journey. She was committed to choosing joy. She didn't wait for cancer to go away to choose joy. She didn't wait for the migraines to stop to choose joy. She didn't wait for all the treatments to be over with to choose joy. She didn't wait for her vision or memory to return to choose joy. Right where she was at, right in the middle of the journey, right there in the waiting, Heather said, I choose joy. We're all waiting for something. Will that thing we're waiting for be the answer? It might help. You might be excited when it happens, but that one thing you've been waiting for won't bring you joy. The good news is you get to choose joy today. I find joy in knowing that I have Jesus. I find joy. No matter what I face, I don't have to wait for him because he's already right there with me. Jesus is my joy. And so Jesus is enough. But I still struggle. I still wrestle. I still get frustrated and sad and mad and angry. But in the midst of all that, I still have Jesus. So I still have joy. Whatever you are waiting for, you don't have to wait for joy. You can be like Heather and choose joy. And then he concludes joy in the waiting. Wait, wait, wait. Joy, joy, joy. Advent. It's hope, expecting, longing, tension. Jesus at the end. So we're going to take a moment and just to, to reflect on what we've heard on, on Jeff's words, encouragement to us to choose joy despite what's going on around us. And so once again, would you just uh, quiet your heart and quiet your mind?
Jesus, I thank you that we can come to you. We can only come to you as bankrupt. That you make no requirements of us crying out to you. Regardless of our privilege and our power in the kingdoms of this world, you invite us in. You don't turn us away, but you are waiting for us to come to you. And so we come today. Jesus, and we look back to what you did 2,000 years ago. How you came and walked among us, not as a king, not as a prince, just as a regular guy. Didn't turn anyone's head. There's nothing about you that attracted people to you. But you came, you lived among us, and then you were cast out. You were rejected by friends, you were rejected by the kingdoms of this world, and ultimately on the cross, you were even rejected by your Father. You were cast out so that we could be brought in. And Father, I pray if there's any person here today who has not experienced your grace or the one who has walked away from you and is is trying to, to work up the courage or work up their goodness, God, I pray today you would set them free from that. desires to, to build up their resume before they come back and see, look, look, God, what I've done. Look at me now. And I pray that they would know that they already have the favor of God if they would come to you and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Amen. 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 Can we, we want to grab the kids? Tell them to...